0: This is the Off-Mic Podcast, a radio show about radio life. Here's your host, Drew Dalby.
1: I'm Rena Jay, currently working at 92 City FM in Winnipeg for Rogers Media.
2: And where does the career start for Rena Jay? Actually, before the career even, when did you first get the idea you wanted to be in radio?
1: It was actually when I was 16 years old, I volunteered at a radio station. It was actually Cat Country, 1310 CHLW in St. Paul, Alberta. And I basically did the trading posts, you know, like, 10 chickens for sale, I would like this much for it. And I would write it down, write down the numbers, and that's how I started, and I oddly liked it. <laughs> so I knew pretty much my whole life that I wasn't good at a whole lot of stuff, and I just wanted radio.
2: And if you can start in Tradio and go from there, then you <laughs> can really do anything. <laughs>
1: Radio is the worst. If you've ever heard radio before, oh, it's almost comical. And small towns still
2: do it. I love it. Oh, it's huge still in, in a bunch of markets across the country because it still has an audience. Like a lot of people who are outside of that format or maybe don't listen to stations like that, we can all make fun of it. But it's still a highly rated segment in a lot of places.
1: Yeah, the calls would pile in for like an hour, and I'd have to cut people off, and we'd run out of time. And people <laughs> love it.
2: Those chickens would go unsold if they didn't call early enough.
1: Yeah, I had this one guy who called in and was looking for a wife. Never <laughs> found one during my career there, but fingers crossed for him now.
2: <laughs> oh, man. You know you have hit a low when you're looking for a wife on Tradio.
1: In his defense, this was before Facebook and social media, so I guess how. Do you go about that? <laughs> that
2: guy is probably blowing up Tinder these days. Oh, God, yeah. So, from working as an intern at Cat Country, did you stay there right up until radio school?
1: Yes, I stayed up there until I was uh, just volunteering pretty much until I was 18. I also worked to the uh, Oilers games. There was the Oilers Radio Network, and I would have to put it. So, they actually paid me a little bit for that. So, I knew I wanted radio, when I applied to Nate in Edmonton. And as you know, it's really hard to get in. And I I actually got denied and put on the uh, callback list. Somebody dropped out. So I was devastated. And my parents are those pushy, you're going to college no matter what, kind of people. So I was like, all right, I'm going to business school. No joke, two weeks before I started business school at Nate, I got a call from the RTA and they were like, somebody dropped out, there's a spot, you're next on the list, do you want it? And I was like, oh, it's a sign. (laughs) So (laughs) exciting.
2: You had uh, what most people going in didn't have, which was some experience inside a radio station. Did you find that that made things a little bit easier?
1: Actually, the program that they used at Cat Country was a DOS-based program. So, no. When I I got to school, I was like, what? (laughs) Touchscreen? Scott system? Technology? What is this? So, no. (laughs) Not really.
2: First time that you got to do, because everybody at Nate gets to do an on-air shift on a, a fairly regular basis, the first time you got to crack the mic open, did it really solidify it for you that this is what you wanted to do?
1: I actually was more leaning towards production when I started, but then partial of the way through school, I had way better marks in the on air than the production, and I wasn't as you know struggled with the production maybe just a little more than the on air. So I kind of started leaning towards on air, and I don't know. I guess what? Well, have you know, at Nate they give you your own show. You can do like a whole two hour evening show with your friends. So it's so much fun. I had a country show, and uh, I ended up just wanting on air. I just knew after doing our own little show how much fun it was loved
2: it so once the program ended or at least the first three semesters it's time for the work placement where did you end up going out of nate
1: i went to camrose to cam fm they had just launched cam fm and uh it was in the same building as cfcw with jackie ray at the time so i did my internship there and i did the old overnight shift and i had an awesome program director mike shannon and uh If I did really good, if he was happy with my air checks, he would let me move up an hour or move back an hour, I should say. So I'd get to go in a little bit earlier and leave a little earlier. He'd give me better time slots as I did good. He was some internships, you know, you kind of worry that they're just into it for the free labor. But Mike Shannon was awesome, and he really pushed me. I actually got offered my first job before I even finished my internship.
2: And that was at FM that you got offered the gig?
1: No, I actually got offered the gig at, drumroll, the place where I swear it all started, Cat Country 1310 C-H-O-W, <laughs> needed Yeah, I went back home, uh, they needed an afternoon drive and a music director so I accepted the job and I got an apartment back at home and I did that for about six months and then I got bumped up to morning show after the morning guy got fired, so uh, I took that and did that for about six months, I also filled in on Cool FM in Bonneville, they had launched a new Top 40 station there so I was kind of like driving there somewhere mornings and pre-recording some morning shows when they were launching it off and stuff and i applied for that morning show job i was like oh Bonneyville, it's a little bigger than st paul i'll try and get this job didn't get it but it actually worked out really really well because then i got offered a job at the goat in lloydminster probably like you know then after a year working in st paul so i got the hell out of there and moved to the goat
2: Now, I want to go back to CAM-FM, first of all, because I've never heard of this before, where a station manager or program director sort of slides your shift depending on how well you're doing. You said if you were doing really well, he would move you that one hour earlier so that you had a bit better time slot. Were you ever threatened with a bad air check of of having to move back an hour? Did the sliding scale work both ways?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that Mike Shannon doing that for me... You know, kind of the reward system. It's like when you're training your dog, they do something good, you get a treat. It totally works.
2: And when you moved to cat country, you said this this was home for you. This is where you, the first station you ever worked in. Was yeah. it weird or awkward being on air somewhere where so many people knew who you were before you even got there?
1: Yeah, it made things a little more difficult, especially when you're starting a radio career, as you probably know your first few shows are like the worst shows in the world and you don't even want to listen to them now because you're so embarrassed about what you sounded like you know you're pushing your voice and you sound corny but uh, so I had to actually go through all that with everybody like my family listening which is awesome <laughs> but uh yeah you know I guess it was good in a way because everyone kind of lied to me and said what a great show because it's my mom <laughs> so she had no joy.
2: Just patting you on the back, getting you built up and and ready to go, and it worked out. You got to your first taste for mornings, and obviously you've gotten to do a whole bunch of them since then. What did a young arena think about the hours that came with a morning show?
1: Well, I went from drive to morning, which was so hard, because as you know when you're doing the drive, you get to sleep until like 10, and then get to work at like, you know, a little later on at noon, so it was awesome, but switching to mornings was actually really hard on my body at first, not to sound like a crybaby, but Getting up at 4 a.m., it's like, I just felt like I was always sick. I always had a cold. It kind of sucked at first till you get adjusted to it, and it did take a long time. But now, uh, you know what? There's still days where I wake up, and I'm like, no. <laughs> and I've been doing it for years. So. Oh,
2: the greatest lie they tell in radio is that eventually you'll get used to the hours of mornings, which is not true at all.
1: No, never. Oh, I still dread it. Just the waking up, once you get to work, you're like, yeah, okay, let's go. But just like laying there, thinking of getting up, when it's so dark and cold, and you know, everybody, at least there's no line at Tim Hortons, I guess.
2: <laughs> so what position did you get when you made the move to Lloyd Minster for the GOAT?
1: I got offered mornings with Poncho Parker and Jeremy Dodge.
2: So right out um, the gate, a pretty solid time slot with two guys that really good at what they do.
1: Oh, it was awesome. I did a couple of interviews. I actually didn't even apply for the job. I had been sending air checks to Gruff Koshnowski, who was the program director at the time, and just being like, Hey, I want your advice, how can I get better? I'm in Saint Paul and I wanna like you know, like move along kind of thing. But so he gave me advice for a few months and just him listening to my stuff, he's like she's improving, I can train this girl. So he brought me out there and was like, want to go for lunch one day? I'm like, sure. I drove out to Lloyd. And then all of a sudden it turned into like an interview and then he goes, okay, we have an opening on mornings. I was wondering if you were maybe interested. As long as the co-hosts like you, I'm totally loving what you're doing. I was so excited. I got to meet Poncho and Dodge. It was great. And then they all drove down to St. Paul the next day to tell me I got the job and made the Big move, about an hour and a half from where I was to Lloydminster.
2: You stayed in a very small geographic area at the start of your career. I
1: did. I
2: did. So you get to go, and now you're working at a rock station, which at the time was uh, was fairly fresh in, in Lloydminster, and, and it was a big deal for them to get this rock station. What was that vibe like for you getting to transition? Did you feel more at home in the rock, or did that take some getting used to? Uh
1: I'm a country and a rock girl, so it wasn't, you know, as big of an issue. It was like, it felt so big time to me. Like, it was really cool when I started working there, especially when we got... Band interviews and i know they're like those bar bands that kind of travel around it's not that exciting but getting interviewed saliva and like you know josie scott was the coolest thing to me at the time so i i loved it and i stuck around in loyminster for a while i was there for almost four years
2: and did you have chemistry you said you you got to meet dodge and poncho before you got hired that obviously went well enough for you to get hired once yep. it came to on-air chemistry though did did it click right away or did it take some getting used to
1: I wasn't used to co-hosting. That was a whole new game for me. So it took a little bit of getting used to, but they were really patient with me. And, you know, I think maybe I was a little bit more shy at first. You know, you don't want to talk over them because they're the big radio dogs, and you're just trying to make your way. (laughs) It was very intimidating. But once you get used to it, and you're comfortable, and you kind of get to the idea of, like, you're just sitting around a table talking with two friends. It's not a big deal. And it was totally easy. And actually, I only got to work with Poncho for about a year, and then he took off to be the program director in Bonneville at a new station that uh, Newcap was launching there. So up came Phil Aubrey, who was doing Drive at the Goat in the time. and. And he uh, came to do mornings with Dodge and I. And then within a year, Dodge actually got stolen to Saskatoon. Uh, He went to work at a country station there. And then Philly ended up going to K-97 in Edmonton. So I ended up getting a new host, this Chad Hansen guy. And I worked with him for about a year and a half or so and then moved on from there.
2: Now, the one thing I know about rock radio and the GOAT, I will vouch for this specifically, the listeners have absolutely no problem telling you exactly what they think about you. And in radio, as a female, I know that it can be a little bit harder even than for guys. Did you have to deal with much of that at the GOAT?
1: Actually, at the go, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't bad, you know? Everybody was really nice. When I started to transition to like bigger, when I went to a bigger market like Winnipeg, I really noticed the difference there. And that really is one of the hardest things about radio is just learning to, to take it, so to speak.
2: <laughs> well, maybe, maybe they were nice to you. Maybe I was just that bad because they were, they were ruthless when I was
1: there. <laughs> yeah, I get, well, yeah. Yeah, yes. You know, a bunch of oil patch workers, funny guy on the radio. I can see them being a little. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so what was the difference between, because you've now gone through three different hosts with uh, with Phil and with Poncho mm-hmm. and then finally with Chad. What were the differences between working with the three of them as sort of the uh, the quarterback?
1: You know what? It's so different with every host. It's interesting to see how they plan their show. Some people like the element of surprise, so they tell you nothing. <laughs> so you're kind of going in cold to every break. Some, like, you know, really plan Like Philly's always been structured and planned and uh, goes through everything. And, I lo- you know, I kind of like that. And Poncho had this lifestyle bit where he just liked to talk. He was a great storyteller. So that was his thing. So you just got to sit there and buckle up and, you know, give comments on his story. And that was his style. So you just kind of kind of adjust as a co-host what you do to how your morning got
2: Going through that many different styles, though, that's got to be good for you to help build up the resume. And, I mean, at that point, once you've gone through those three kind of styles, you're really ready to work with anybody at that point.
1: Well, you know, and then you meet somebody like Dave Wheeler, who my next job was with uh, in Winnipeg, and it's, again, a totally different style, so I honestly think that every individual person kind of has their own way of doing it, and you just really got to be prepared for anything.
2: You said you put in four years at the GOAT. What made you pull away from there? And was it sort of a, a sad thing to leave a place you'd put that much time into?
1: Yeah, oh, it was really sad. After a while, everybody there is like your family. You know, I didn't really have any family living in Lloyd. So the, everybody you work with, you see them, you know, more often than your actual family. So it was tough, but I don't know. I, I just you kind of get this when you're ready. You're ready feeling. And it wasn't really the radio station. It was more of I was ready to leave the town. You know, I was ready. I was kind of done with the small town thing. And I was also waitressing at Boston Pizza while doing the morning show. So it was really rough on me doing those night shifts and stuff and having to get up after a couple hours. And I was just ready for something else.
2: Just in case any of those kids out there are listening that are on their way to radio schools about what kind of money you can expect. Here's someone working mornings for four years, and then serving drinks to her listeners later on that evening. It actually helps with the tips, though. So I can't <laughs> <help with> my- <laughs> Oh my God, Eureka! Thank you so much. Take all my exactly. money. <laughs>
1: Totally. Actually, most of my radio jobs, but actually every single job except for this one, I've always had a second job. I've always worked two. I worked in, when I worked in St. Paul, I worked at the liquor store. (laughs) Yeah. I worked night shift at the liquor store. I would get up and do mornings. It was uh, tough, but you got to do what you got to do.
2: At least, like I said, you've always found a way to stay with your listeners, though.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I guess. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so was it Winnipeg that, that took you away from Lloyd Minster?
1: It was. I was actually applying for a couple different jobs, and I had applied for mornings in Medicine Hat with Poncho, because that's where he was now at this time. And he was like, Rena, let's reunite co-hosts. Let's do this. I was like, okay, so I went up there to meet Jason Manning, who was the program director at the time, for a job interview. And I was sitting about some Pizza. I had done the interview with them. And I went to the bathroom, and my phone rang while I was in the can. And I answered and it's Matt Cundell, who's a program director at Power 97 here in Winnipeg. And he says, Rand, this is Matt Cundell from Winnipeg. Would you be interested in mornings here? Uh, if you-? And I was like, are, are, you, are you kidding me? Like, you know, obviously Winnipeg's a bigger market. And I'm like, I'm in a job interview and I'm in the bathroom. Oh, my God. And he's like, well, we need you to fly up right away. Where are you? I'm like, I'm in Medicine Hat. He's like, well, uh, could you drive to the Calgary airport from there and, you know, fly up here and do an interview for the weekend? I was like, oh my God, oh my God, okay, I can do this, I can do this. So I went back out there, and Poncho and Jason were like, Rena, we discussed it while we were in the bathroom. We want you to have the job. I was like, ooh.
2: Awkward. Really bad,
1: really bad timing. I'm like, I swear to God, I just got a phone call when I was in the bathroom for this awesome opportunity in Winnipeg. When I was in college, uh, I used to study Wheeler and Howell. Like, You know how you do reports and things on different morning shows and stuff, and I loved Wheeler and Hal. And I had actually done one of those, what do you call them, like dream board things and your goal in your career. And it was to be the female co-host on Wheeler and Howe in Winnipeg. And I was actually getting offered a job that I had dreamed of. It was like just unbelievable. uh, Until I had to get the interview done first. But I was just so blessed. It was amazing. So I flew from Winif- or from, Cal- or from Calgary to Winnipeg right after that job interview, stayed for the weekend, and they offered me the job at the end of the day. So I went back to Lloyd Minster and quit, packed up my bag, and drove to lovely Winnipeg.
2: Now, wait a minute. I want to go back to, to Medicine Hat. What did they say when you told them, I just, like, they just offered you a job? This is like the worst date scenario. They put themselves on the line. <laughs> And you told them that you got another date while you were in the bathroom. What was the reaction from Poncho and Jason?
1: I think the first thing Jason said was... Will you stay with us if I give you a pony? (laughs) I was like, ooh, I love ponies. I was like, but this is honestly like a dream job for me, and I have to at least go do the interview. Um, I'm sorry, but I can't give you a definite answer yet. And I felt really bad because, you know when you meet those program directors who are just kind of inspiring and they seem so awesome? Jason was totally that guy. And I was like, oh, my God. By I going to stay and take a medicine hat job just for the program director? Like, what do I do? And I was debating. I worked with Poncho, so we already had the chemistry, you know? So we could have built a great show. But when I got the job in Winnipeg and I was here and just something about it felt right and I just knew. I'm like, this is totally what I want.
2: Did they so, kind of anyway. leave it on the table that if Winnipeg didn't work out, they they were comfortable being your second, uh, second pick?
1: <laughs> yeah, they did say that. So right. I had to call them at the end of the weekend and let them know that I wasn't going to be taking the job, but.
2: Who took it harder? Your who was your PD in, in Lloyd at the time? Was that Grant Biebrick? It was Grant. Yes, it was Grant.
1: No, Grant is the coolest. Grant is like sweet. Grant, you and that's your career. You go, girl. <laughs> I
2: yeah, would pay know, Grant, money to hear Grant Bieberick say "You go, girl."
1: <laughs> Grant was kind of that corny sense of humor. That's totally something I think he would say. But he was really like all for it, and he gets it. Like the Goat is one of those radio stations that really build announcers and then they all kind of go off from there. Do you know what I mean?
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: Stomping grounds, a training ground for everybody. A stepping stone. Thank you. (laughs) Stepping stone. That's what I was looking for.
2: So, you have this dream job thrown at you while you're in a bathroom in Medicine Hat. The interview works out. You get the job. I want you to describe that first day of walking in.
1: Well, I had actually was replacing Hal because Hal had announced that he was going to be going to CJOB, the talk station. So, Wheeler was given the opportunity to build his own show. So, Wheeler ended up deciding on, uh, along with Matt Cundell, the program director, that Philly who happened to have left K-97 in Edmonton by this point and was working in Winnipeg, Philly and I would be the perfect team together with Wheeler. So the three of us created Wheeler in the morning with Philly and Rena And it worked out great because Philly and I had... Already done mornings together.
2: And you also had the benefit of not having to necessarily step into a legacy show. I mean, if you'd added in with Wheeler and Hal, it would have always been like, oh, this is that new girl, I liked it better before, or I, you know, some people would be, I like it better now, but yeah, there's pressure there. But with this, Wheeler was still sticking around, but you kind of had a, a blank slate to come into.
1: Exactly. And you know what? I think that's totally why they ended up going with the replacing Hal with a male and a female, because Hal... Is like, worshipped in Winnipeg. People loved him, and they were pissed when he left power. He was just, he was there for so many years, and people just grew to wake up, and everything. Hal was just, he's like the ninth greatest Canadian or something. He was awarded that a few years ago. He's just an amazing dude. So uh, by totally changing the dynamic, I think it didn't, it wasn't necessarily replacing Hal. It was just kind of a new show coming in. It was maybe just easier on people.
2: And did you and Philly just go right back to to being best buds like it was in Lloydminster?
1: Philly had no choice because I had no friends in Winnipeg. And I (laughs) was so far away from home that Philly had him and his wife. They took me in, always feeding me, suppers and stuff because they felt bad for me, but I had to live in a hotel for the first two months that I moved here because I could not find anywhere to live. So it was really hard. You know, on the weekends, you're just driving around trying to learn the roads of the city because you have nothing to do and you have no friends. But uh, I ended up finding an apartment, lucky, lucky from Philly, right next door. So we get the carpool <laughs> to work every day. Philly just hates me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it worked out great. Uh, my first day at Power, the studio at Power uh, was on Portage Avenue, and it was, like, in a basement. It was dark and smelly and gross, and really, like, the studio had had a little bit of romance to it, because you knew how much had gone on there, but it was still, I remember being super, super nervous, and, you know, with the new show, they had tons of people there and cameras there, and it was nerve-wracking, because this was, like, my first major market big deal kind of show, but... You know, you just you get over it and you just you know, we did lots of air checks and just learned for me to open up a little more and not be so nervous and not worry about cutting them off because I'm competing against two really loud voices. And it's like sometimes it's like you're yelling as loud as you can and you still can't talk over it. Wheeler has the deepest voice.
2: And especially as the female co host, there's always that old trap of falling into as the giggle girl on a three person morning show with two other huge personalities and knowing you like I do, I feel like you would never be okay with that.
1: Oh, that's like every female announcer's worst fear is getting called the last trash. God, here you say it. I'm like, no. Yeah, no, I that, that is your biggest fear. So I try really hard to like actually have opinions and, you know, not just always agree with, because no one wants to hear a bunch of people sit around and agree with each other anyway. And it's not exciting, right?
2: No, uh, that's boring.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it works out good because uh, we learned I butt heads a lot, but it works out really well.
2: Now, before we were talking about how you had a very uh, central geographic location to your career this was quite a move for you and a lot of people as they're getting into radio program heads uh, from from schools if they're good at what they do will drive it into the student's head that you're gonna have to move and it might have to be far away from everything you know for Uh you to actually make that move though was that was that difficult for you in the in the early going? I know you said that you didn't have any friends or anything like that, but were those days where you questioned whether or not you'd made the right move because of the distance?
1: Uh, you know what? I I want to say yes, but I think I had a few days where I was a little homesick or you know like sad and lonely. But uh, in the end, I don't know. Work just work is my was my life is my life. So. As long as that the most important part of my day, it was awesome and I was happy. I, I knew I did the right thing. I just it was it was great and the people in Winnipeg were so great. It honestly didn't take me that long to make friends. I joined you know curling teams and baseball teams and any kind of rec anything I could just to meet people and it worked out so well. So I know I don't I don't I don't think I regretted it. I think I had those days where I'm like I wish I could just drive home and have a supper at mom's and sick of eating soup, <laughs> but you know you stick with it and. It, Works out again.
2: <laughs> I know that your show collectively pulled some monster numbers uh, in during your time, which is still ongoing in Winnipeg. Did that come right away, or did you guys have to build up to that?
1: We totally had to build up to that. Our first book, the numbers actually went down, and that was my first time having to actually deal with ratings because in Lloydminster and all the other small markets, they don't do that, right? Right. So going into the office for your first ratings meeting, seeing Wheeler and Silly being nervous and. You know, having that sit down and seeing the numbers and how disappointed they were. It's just—it's a whole, you you know, you feel bad and it's such a crappy thing. But our our first book was the worst we had. And then from there, we just went up slowly, slowly, slowly. And our last book, which we just had uh, this fall, was actually the highest numbers in the history of the entire station. Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, it took us four years to get there, but, you know you just got to slowly build it up, and the audience has to slowly just warm up to you. There's so many people now that, you know, they just think of us as, like, you know, family and actual friends because they listen to us every morning. You know, I meet people, and they forget that I don't know them, and they know every little aspect of my life, you know, like my name and my dog, and that I don't like eggs, and it's just, I love it. It's so awesome that, you know, everybody feels like they're friends with us, and they're a part of our little group, so it's, it's awesome.
2: Who doesn't like
1: eggs? Me. That's a chicken, period. You are eating a chicken ovulation. Look.
2: Yeah, but it's delicious. No. It I am I'm funny. entirely comfortable with whatever label you want to put on it, as long as you fry it. That's fine.
1: I think it's the smell that bothers me the most uh, actually. I don't know what it is. I just never like eggs. Eh.
2: Uh, you say the, the the listeners have sort of uh, embraced you guys as a, as a family, and they they wake up. You're part of their lives. But at one point during your run in Winnipeg, they had to change that routine because suddenly you were went from being on one station to another station. I know there was a lot of stuff that went on with that. How much of that can you actually talk about what happened? I can
1: talk about most of it. I don't. No one told me not to. So here Perfect. we go. <laughs> um, yeah, we were at we're working for Chorus Entertainment at Power. And we had Act actually just built us this amazing beautiful new studio in Polo Park. It was awesome, and the contracts had lapsed. So, They were supposed to offer the deal before the uh, previous contracts were up. And we kept pushing the program director like, hey, Matt, what are we doing? Like, where's the contract? Blah, blah, blah. So and then the guys, you know, we all started to get a little upset. Like, what's taking them so long? Are we not important? You know, you kind of put a little feelers out there. And I guess somebody at Rogers had heard, uh, somebody in Vancouver had heard that we were without contracts. So they called Scott Armstrong, who was in Winnipeg at the time at at City, the uh, GM. And they said, hey, I heard it this morning show. And at the time, we were number one 2554 adults in Winnipeg. So it's perfect for uh, what city was looking for as well. And they had a morning team in place that had been there forever, Tom and Joe in the morning. So we were going to be replacing a staple of a show that had been there for like 13, 15 years, something like that. So it was, uh, it was really scary. So when we first heard from Scott, we thought that they were trying to screw with us, right? Because they're the competition. They're like our main competition. So we were, we're not sure. So Wheeler went over and put some feelers out and he came back and he's like, you guys, these guys want to make us an offer. I think this is legit. Should we do this? Should we meet with them? We were all really scared and like, oh, but we love Chorus. They just built this awesome studio. We love it here. But, you know, they weren't coming forward. So we were like, you know what? We'll, we'll have a listen. We'll see what they offer. So we met with Julie Adam, Paul Ski, everybody from the Rogers team in Toronto actually flew down to take us out for supper and stuff. And I just, I don't know what it was, you know, like when you get that feeling and all three of us ended up deciding that this was the best move for our team. So we ended up taking the job and we had to do the scariest moment of my life, which is quit the job that you, your dream job, right? That was my dream job. I had to quit the job that I loved because I decided that I was going with the guys. We were all going to do this together. We're a team and... It was really, really tough and scary because you get escorted from the building. <laughs> but... Uh yeah, working it, it's, and it's worked out great for us so far.
2: So at least you got escorted from the building after you made the move. There's a lot of people that get that, uh, you know, security guard or engineer or somebody <laughs> shows up at your desk and you're like, "I'm just, can I finish this game of solitaire?" for it? And they just drag you out, and it's no good for yeah, anyone.
1: I, I totally had time to pack up all my desk stuff, so it worked out great. <laughs> no,
2: like, did anybody notice? Like, oh look, Rena's putting all of her things in a box. Maybe we should ask her what's happening.
1: Nobody noticed. I think that's why it was such a crazy move because all of a sudden, to the listeners, we were just off the air. One day, we were there. One day, we were completely gone, and they didn't say anything about it. They threw the drive show in the morning. They just said that we were away and stuff because... Uh, they weren't. We had to have lawyers look at everything, right? Because we weren't sure if we were trapped in something, if we could walk across the street, or how it worked. So uh, once we finally got the approval from all the lawyers and everybody, everything was good. We uh, we started our show in the middle of September on City FM and uh, in the Osborne Village, and uh, yeah, it, it was awesome. And then probably after a year or two there. Wheeler started saying, oh, I've been putting these feelers out, you know, I've uh, been hearing these rumblings about city TV. And we're like, okay, Wheeler, you know, dream big, man. <laughs> They're not going to put a radio show on morning morning TV. That's crazy talk. And honestly, he he had mentioned it probably a year before I had even heard that it was a real thing. And he had had this idea, and they, they all of a sudden I got told probably two months before the show launched that this was happening, and uh, I was really freaked out at first. I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't super happy about it because I'm a radio person, as you know. I just have to work every morning, you know. Now I'm gonna be on TV. Is that really what I signed up
2: for? <laughs> How much extra preparation goes into now doing your morning show on TV like personal preparation, not show prep? Just because oh when I do mornings, it's like sweatpants and a dirty old t shirt. If I can make it out the door without breaking <laughs> nudity laws, I'm happy. Oh.
1: So jealous, yeah. No, I wake up at about three fifteen, three thirty every morning to get ready and put on the makeup and do the hair and put on the nice blazer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's it's a big change from running out the door in my SpongeBob Square Pants pants. So it's, it was, that was probably the biggest change uh, now that I'm used to, you know, actually the, the whole, because with radio, everything is like, you could write, hey, you have an entertainment segment coming up. You could literally write the entertainment segment until 30 seconds before you go on the air. You know, that's, that's the magic of radio. That's why it makes it awesome. You can just totally add things as the morning goes on. And with TV... Everything has to be done in advance and given to producers ahead of time. So, like, you have to have a lot more prepped in advance and a lot more organization to everything because you're also handing off. Because, you know, usually I'd sometimes I'd see a great article and I would add lib it, in my own words, telling it. Well, now I'm giving it to a producer and they need to know which parts I'm going to talk about. So i got to, like, top it up and put it in point form, being, like, highlighting things. And, like, I'm going to bring up this as a key thing and, you know, this so they can have pictures and video and audio or whatever they want to do on their end for the... The morning side, but um, backpedaling just a little bit when we started the TV thing, we'd only been given two months' notice, and that was because there was a lot of people who actually lost their jobs with the city TV cuts, which was really, really sad. And there was a lot of uh, you know, people who were super pissed at us, but realistically, we didn't really have a choice once it was okay and it was going through, it was happening. I was kind of told because when I had some hesitation about it, they were like, Well, there's the TV studio or there's the door and I was like I would love to do TV
2: (laughs) (laughs) when you you put it that way I really do see where you're coming from
1: (laughs) yeah exactly so uh, as much as I was scared of it I I totally love it now once you're comfortable with it and you get used to having producers talking your ear while you're talking which is also really hard to get used to you know, it, 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 is, it adds a lot more to the show, too, because now you can have these awesome visual elements. You know, if you have a movie trailer, you can be playing it while you're talking about it. It also helps you explain things a little better. It's just, you know, it's totally, it's great for the brand, too, right? Because now we're on other media outlets, so it's, it's awesome.
2: So how do you balance, because obviously radio, a very, very non-visual medium, people can't see if they're listening to the radio, how do you balance the TV versus the radio show, since you're doing it simultaneously, and what happens? When you're playing music on the radio,
1: <laughs> well, uh, we have the CRTC regulations where a certain percentage of content that we have on TV has to be considered original content. So, since our show airs on radio as well, having it air on TV doesn't count as original content. So, hence Mark and Erica. We have two people who are those live on location, you know, or is at some different business around town or different events around town. So when we throw to them, all their live breaks count as original content, and then we can meet those regulations. And when we are playing music, it's thrown to them. So they're doing their live hits with, you know, businesses and stuff, and we also have some pre-recorded socks, you know, just like those little funny clips that are in between that we also have as time filler. We have a few um, Sportsnet clips that come down every day that are like two or three minutes that eat up some time. We have an Entertainment City that uh, I voice that comes down from Toronto, the script, and I voice it in the morning and the producer puts it up with all the visuals and stuff and we use all these little elements to fill all the time that happens when we're playing commercials and music on our end. So it actually works really well. At first, it sounded extremely scary to try and learn all the new logs and the way everything was working. They hired some uh, really awesome people from the States who came in and listened and uh, they put a lot of work into it and in making sure that everything is timed out perfectly. The only difference is we can't be dropping or adding music in the morning now, everything as it comes half day, because everything is given in advance to the TV people, so they can get everything perfectly in with all the elements that they have.
2: So there's no such thing as running long anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, well, sometimes we get that, stretch it out. You know, when the, when the truck goes down or something, we lose a signal with the TV. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we, we get the fill time, so some of our breaks do go a little more than, uh, <laughs> you know, radio recommended, but it, it, sometimes it is tough to balance the two, but we make it work. And uh, so far, it's been pretty successful, so we, uh, we can't complain about it, right?
2: So, you have a successful morning show, number one. In the, in the ratings, uh, the highest ratings in the history of the station that you're at. You have a successful television show to go along with it. You're working with two guys that you, I just when you talk about them, you rave about them. Like, it's it's clear that there's friendships there. You're not all just in it <laughs> dealing with each other because of the money.
1: Yeah, we're, told we're family, right? When I moved, I have nobody here, no real family. So when I moved here, they really both took me under their wing and I was, like, eating supper with them and their families, sleeping on Wheeler's couch. And, you know, Wheeler and I would do things. Thanksgiving at the keg, all the uh, holidays and stuff, we would go out for supper together because he doesn't have family here either. So it just it worked out really well.
2: Be careful with that. I don't know what the keg is paying you, but they're not paying me to be on this show. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What is uh, what's what's left? What's next for you at this point? Or are you just at this point so comfortable with what you're doing that that's not in your head about you you talked about it earlier. Sometimes you just get that feeling like you got to look at whatever's coming next. Do you have that at all right now?
1: No, I don't. I don't have that feeling at all. (laughs) I'm I'm. There's always new surprises with the TV element, and it's my job is just so exciting and fun right now that I'm just, I'm loving it. And uh, not to brag, but I got Earl in there. I won the Young Broadcaster of the Year Award at CMW last, uh, last year.
2: I'm still pissed that my nomination didn't count for myself. <laughs> also, I don't know if I'm young anymore, so I don't know if I even yeah. qualify, but congratulations on that. Year. What was that feeling like? <laughs> Because the CMW oh. Awards, that's that's your peers. That's people in the industry who are, are nominating or voting or choosing. So to get something like that, and not even just one of the, the plethora of awards that they hand out, but like a specific, like, we're going to stop this down and talk about how great Rena is. How did that feel?
1: Uh, it was surreal, to be honest. Like, I uh, I had uh, had bosses nominate me for the award before, but I'd never won, and you just you never expect to win something like that and when I uh, I knew that my boss had nominated me and then when they called me into the office and he's like you what I was just like com- in complete shock and then they mailed me this beautiful giant wall thing award <laughs> there's like a silver record in it and it's mounted beautifully and it makes me so happy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you keep that at work or do you keep that at home? Oh that's at home. See cause if I'm yeah. you and this is just egotistical selfish me I'm trying to find a spot in the studio where that's always in the shot for television. (laughs) Just framed up just right. Just like, oh, by the way, one of us has won this award.
1: That's a valid point, actually, because Wheeler has Star Wars junk all over the set. (laughs) He does. He's obsessed. He's got a giant Darth Vader life-size cutout that sits right behind me every morning, and it's very (laughs) distracting.
2: (laughs) I can see how that would be a little unnerving, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's just something to think about. If you ever get a chance to redecorate, maybe just put that wherever Wheeler sits, like just prop it up right in front of his chair. Yeah,
1: when Wheeler's on holidays, we'll
2: have it uh, co-host. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to give advice for somebody who's listened to your story about how, you know, you started as an intern and you worked your way through radio school and and all the way up to where you are now, which is obviously very successful, what advice do you have for people that are that are just getting started?
1: Biggest piece of advice that I have uh, we kind of talked to it about a little, a little bit earlier, do, starting small, doing the small town gigs, because that's where you really get to learn. You can mess up, and not a lot of people are listening, <laughs> and you get to do so many jobs because they hire way less staff. Like when I worked at Cat Country, I was the only announcer there. After I left Drive to Morning. They never replaced me. I was literally the only announcer. So I did the music director. I did the morning show. I did the news. You know, I got to do all the remote, all the on location, all the promotional stuff for setups and stuff. I got to do all of it. So when you hand your resume in and you're ready to move on a little uh, up, it looks like you can do everything. You know, you need to make yourself a necessity to a business, right? So if you can do. All this stuff, it's just that much easier for you to, like, move up slowly, I think. And there's a lot of people that I went to school with who were like, ah, I don't want to leave Edmonton, you know, I want to stay here I grew up. And, you know, they started as the intern there. And you know what? They're still doing weekends or swing jobs. And it's been years, right? But it's just a lot harder. The competition is so much harder when you start in a major market and you don't have the experience.
2: One other thing I want to ask is with your show, especially with the TV component, I'm assuming that City FM, in the mornings at least, is playing less music than maybe your average morning show. Yes. Do you think that that is a way that radio will go in more markets? Or do you think that that's just unique to the formula you guys have built?
1: Um, I think that we are going to see a lot of shows, maybe try to do something along the lines of what we're doing right now. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if another TV radio hybrid popped up somewhere soon. Because if you think about it, for, on a company standpoint, you know, they're, they're already paying you to do this job while well, they can do this, For you know, throw in the TV element. You know, they're not going to need to hire as many staff who are already working for them. And, uh, and it benefits you big time, right? Just because you're branding yourself. You have your own TV show. Like, that's that's priceless. For a morning show to have that kind of advertising, right? It's it's awesome. So I'm not. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we see this popping up. And then yeah, everybody will obviously have to sort of go with the format that we have just to meet regulations. So
2: now I'm not suggesting that anybody in this equation is is headed out the door or anything like that. But say Philly or Wheeler, well, either one. Was, was moving on to something else or stepping down, pulling a hal, retiring, whatever. Is there anybody out there in the country right now that you think is talented enough that if you were asked who you wanted to bring in, you would point to that person?
1: Brian Adams.
2: Like the <laughs> I'm <just> musician? <laughs>
1: I'm just kidding. I was trying to think of some kind of Canadian royalty.
2: Because, <laughs> uh, listen, I'm not entirely against this idea. There's already enough Brian Adams on the radio across the country. He might as well do a show.
1: I know. He could totally count for Canadian content, right? (laughs) Just
2: every time he talks, start timing it. 35%. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. What about just shout-outs for people that you think people should be listening to in radio?
1: people be listening to in radio well obviously your show oh you're too kind did you did you set? was this a setup this you know uh, what not only was idea. this not
2: a setup but i'm pretty sure <laughs> that in the three years that i've been doing the show you're the first person to even even jokingly mention my name in this segment really yes <laughs> and it has yes. broken my heart every week that someone has not mentioned me so you're my favorite now
1: of course. Sweet. Yeah, I'm going to go with you, just you.
2: Yes, I'll take it. Yeah. Thank you very much for taking time out of your your budding media empire to join me on the show.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I uh, I love talking about myself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, it tends to be one of the easier subjects. The last thing we do is we get to pick a song. You get to pick a song and uh, and and give it to us. Channel that Cat Country Rena J and intro any song that you want and then just like magic, I'll make it happen. <laughs> any song at all. I I believe in you.
1: Well, I did mention Brian Adams, so I think I'm going to have to go with Summer of 69. I got my
0: first real six string Bought it at the five and done. Played it till my fingers bled Was it
1: podcast follow the show online at off mic podcast on twitter or like the show on facebook if there's a guest you'd like to hear on the show email off podcast at gmail.com the off mic podcast is a part of the dolby radio network